Hello and welcome to the Filmmaking Stuff Podcast, where you'll get insider tactics on how to make, market, and sell your movie without the middleman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, LA-based motion picture executive, Jason Brubaker. Hey filmmakers, Jason Brubaker talking to you from sunny Southern California. Welcome to today's show. In fact, joining us today is Chris Mahan. Um, he actually wrote a book called Take One, No Film School Required, How to Work in the Film and Television Industry Without a Film Degree. Uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. I understand that you've been doing uh, this stuff in entertainment for quite a while. In fact, uh, you started as a child actor. I did. I started uh, back in Georgia, back in Atlanta, back in 1984. Um, started out as an actor slash would-be teen model for a couple of years. I met a lot of great people and was able to watch a lot of the filmmaking process from the uh, front row seat as a featured extra with a bunch of early movies back in the 80s. Not a lot of TV movies of the week. And my first actual film was uh, The Heavenly Kid back in 1985. I've actually got a featured part in that. Got a whole 34 seconds on screen. So that's my big, my big first move at 17 years old, that movie. Just a, a, an eye-opening experience. I realized then that I had the bug, and from then on, I was I was hooked. Yeah, and, and and is that where because some of the advice that you give is is preparation. You know, Tom Malloy that does a lot of work with us is always talking about developing and prepping your project. But in your case, you're talking about preparing for a television uh, commercial shoot. Yes. So I was working in uh, crew for many many years, about eight years worked on TV shows, different things. I'd always wanted to have a production company. That was kind of my, my early dream after being an actor. And I worked with Angelica Houston on her first directorial debut, which was Bastard out of Carolina. Wow. At, at the rap party, she's a wonderful lady. Oh my gosh, she was one of the nicest people ever. And at the rap party, she pulled me aside and she said, what do you want to do? Like, what is your goal? So I told her. And I, I was her onset set dresser. That was not the greatest job in the world, but again, I got to work with her and Tony Richmond was DP, and just I learned so much just in that in that element. So I told her I want to be a, a writer and director and producer and do things. And I gave her a bunch of excuses because I was young, and she stopped me. And she's a very powerful woman. She's a very large personality, and and just she just told me she's like, when you do it, call me if you ever need any help. I will help you in any way I can. So flash forward a couple of years, um, I had had my company about two years and I wrote a commercial for the Humane Society for North Carolina. And that commercial ended up going to the national office. They called me and they said, hey, we wanna do this commercial on national level for the Humane Society. Do you know anybody that can do the voiceover? So I immediately called Angelica's office in Los Angeles, uh, Gray Angel. And she was in Ireland at the time, finishing up a movie in Ireland. So when she came back, um, I contacted her again. I talked to her and she went to a studio there in Los Angeles and did the voiceover. We did it over a T1 line back in the day. This is back in early 2000. And I was in my living room in North Carolina and she was in Los Angeles and we did the voiceover. And that commercial ended up going uh, national and ended up going on the front of a movie called Benji Off the Leash. But there it is. It's on the DVD and that commercial ran all over the country. Uh, she did it for free. We did the production, you know, the, the project for free. 
it was a, a gift to the main society. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's really cool on, on both you know both sides of the story. You making an impression and then her following through. You know, we talk a lot as filmmakers. There, there's a lot of people that really see you know feature films as the main goal. But one of the things that I like to support is the idea of doing smaller um, projects in between the big projects and, and certainly television commercials and the kind of work you've done, you've done exemplifies that, you know, what, what's your thoughts in terms of like making a living doing TV commercials and then doing your passion projects when you can. Back in the day, we were all trying to do feature films, like you're saying, independent films. And what I discovered was it takes so much time and money and, um, I like to pay bills. And so I discovered TV commercials and I realized that doing TV commercials, I could write, produce, direct, we could win awards, we could do all the things that you can do with a movie, but you're helping a customer, which is also nice because you're helping a customer advance their business or in the case of the Humane Society, get their message out. So it's incredibly rewarding if you can find the clients that are uh, good clients and appreciate what you do. It is very hard work. It's long hours. It's probably, I want to say it's actually a little bit harder to do a TV commercial simply because you're telling a story in 30 seconds as opposed to 90 minutes. And you have to get someone's attention, evoke an emotion, create a response and hope that there's a result at the end that's favorable to what you're trying to do. So it's very challenging to write a TV, a good TV commercial, even on a regional level, national level, local level. You talk a bit about, you know, when you, when you do these projects and I guess this industry in particular, um, it's well known that from time to time you deal with difficult personalities in the case of, you know, those of us that are making a living, making TV commercials in between the other projects, let's say you bring on a client, you really need the money, you bring on a client, the client's difficult. And it hits a point where, you know, you're just not happy at all. And, and you start thinking about this idea of firing a client, but at the same time, you need the money. Like, how do you, how, how are you able to kind of overcome that challenge? That was something that I, okay. At the time, my wife was in my girlfriend. So we worked together. And if anybody's ever worked with their significant other, you know, there's, there's the business discussion, there's a personal discussion. Sometimes those discussions intermingle when it comes to <laughs> bills and things. So I was the initial salesperson and I would go out and get the sales. So to me, every client, I had to just do whatever they wanted to do because that was the money. However, my wife was like, wait a minute, they are not appreciating our contract. They're not appreciating our time they're not paying on time so it was her idea actually to start firing clients i had never heard of such a thing so we actually a couple of clients were incredibly difficult no matter what we did they were never happy but they kept coming back to us no matter what we asked for they wouldn't pay on time but i kept going back to them so finally she just said listen we're not doing this we are wasting our time they're taking advantage of us and it's causing now stress between us. So the first time I got to fire a client was actually an attorney. We had begun doing a series of commercials for a large attorney there in North Carolina, and he didn't want to pay. 
So I panicked and I didn't sleep for about two weeks. And then finally one day I realized everyone has a boss. So I called the North Carolina Bar Association, told them what happened. And I got paid later that afternoon in full with the approval of the uh, North Carolina Bar Association. So I had to learn that even if someone's being difficult, there's always someone above them. That was my biggest message out of that. So creative people don't do well with stuff like that. And it really uh, caused some serious anxiety for me. But again, I had to learn. And I would tell anybody that before you do anything, have an ironclad agreement. Think that they're going to, and I hate to say this, but think that they're going to screw you encounter that in your paperwork so that if something does happen, you're, you're okay. Well, something, something must have inspired you to write the book, um, you know, beyond you have all this wonderful experience and then um, you've also made a living, you know, doing these kinds of this kind of work. But I, I noticed that you really point out without film school um, or without a film degree, I, I assume that that's not necessary. No, it's not actually. And the reason I wrote this book, I've been asked for years and years and years, how'd you get in? How'd you get in? And finally, I thought, you know what? I love this industry. And I had taken a different job. What I do now is I work with young people and I help them find work and I help motivate them. And I do motivational speaking. I'm doing a talk tomorrow. So I thought, you know what? A lot of kids don't want to go to school. A lot of kids aren't college material. A lot of kids are hands-on. A lot of kids want different things. They don't want to spend four years in a classroom. They don't want to put themselves in massive debt, but they want a really good career. My brother, Shane, you know, he said his film school was, I forget the name of the movie. It's in the book. Uh, I think it was Terminator. Actually, he worked on the first Terminator. Uh, he was 19 at that time and working with James Cameron and Stan Winston. And, and he said that was his real film school. He'd done a couple of those small movies before then. But this was his first big one, working with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's 19 years old. He's, you know, he really learned in that one. You're going to come out of film school and do the same thing as I'm going to do if I get hired. You're going to be a production assistant, probably in one of the departments, art department, camera department, office, whatnot. Um, and you're going to learn like everybody else. There's just so much you can do that does not require a film degree. And you're going to get a great job a great career rather if you become union like i did you're going to get insurance you're going to get benefits you're going to get all those things so it, it's it's a fabulous job and i think if more people understood which one of the chapters in here i call i call it finding your talent everyone thinks that it's a myth there's 14 broken myths in this book as well that i break in the book one of those myths is that you have to have some great talent you have to be a Tom Cruise. You have to be a Steven Spielberg. No, you don't. I tell people that you have to find your talent. Where can other people find this book? It is on Amazon. So right now you just go to Amazon. You can type in my name, uh, Christopher S. Mahan, M-A-H-A-N, or just type in Take One with my name. Uh, it's free with, I believe, Amazon Unlimited, Prime Unlimited as 99 cents on kindle and then the paperback which is uh i think worth every penny is 15 dollars. awesome well awesome. yeah i appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the show and offer some of this advice no i appreciate it this is it's you know i want people to get this and and i also offer a free gift inside so when they read the book they'll find the free gift and i think they'll be happy with that
Awesome. I'll drop a link in the show notes and uh, thanks again for stopping by. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Filmmaking Stuff podcast with Jason Brubaker. If you like our show and want to get more filmmaking info, make sure you check out filmmakingstuff.com and join us every week for new filmmaking tactics. Until next time, take action and make your movie now.